eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. I know it's been a little while, Blake, since we've uh, done a podcast, you know, getting that little comfortable in that off-season vibe, you know, a little bit slower. Uh, I know for me it's been pretty nice, you know, just unwinding a little bit. But we're back, and uh, I wanted to kind of take a, a look first off on this this podcast, kind of looking at how 2020 is going to shape up for the football team. We've gotten a couple of the NFL draft decisions, well, really most of them uh, at this point. We know... You know, Marco Wilson's coming back. We know Trayvon Grimes is coming back. Really, the only guy that's declared so far is CJ. Um, so we have a pretty good idea. We are still waiting on Kadarius Toney. Uh, he's got a couple days here now. Uh, January 20th is the official deadline to declare um, if he's going to the NFL draft. Um, not really sure which way he's leaning at this point. Uh, would not be terribly surprised if he's not at Florida next year. Just, you know, however that plays out, whether it's the NFL doing something else. Um but, you know, he hasn't announced yet, so we'll have to see on that one. But, Blake, um, I guess first off, what, what is your initial impression of, of kind of the pieces that Florida has coming back and what they have to work with in terms of the 2020 roster? You know, I think the things that jump out the most to me um, are at wide receiver and, and in the secondary. Obviously, when you get uh, Trevon Grimes back, that was a big piece considering that Florida lost a lot of those wide receivers that made a lot of contributions. You know, you have Kyle Pitts, who is a big focal part coming back. You know, you bring Jacob Copeland, who flashed at times. You know, there were times where he, you know, he ran the wrong route. You know, there were there were obvious signs of confusion there, but still he's an immense talent you bring mm-hmm. back. No doubt. So I, I think Grimes and, you know, maybe even Tony will wait and see where that goes. It just brings back some of these guys that have knowledge of how the offense runs. I thought one of the things that impressed me most about the wide receiver group this season was just how – how comfortable they were in the offense and how they really knew which routes to run. And they seemed to really kind of read things well. So I think bringing Grimes back with, you know, the size and the speed and, and what he brings as far as just the physical points, but he also brings back some mental continuity there. So I think that that's probably one of the biggest things of just the wide receiver of just those guys coming back. Um, and even in the secondary, I think when you look kind of past CJ Henderson, you know, the usual suspects, the Marcos, you know, the, the Sean Davises, these guys that are coming back, there was a lot of youth for Florida. So I think being able to not only last season get guys like Kyrie Elam, um, Chester Kimbrough, uh, Jaden Hill, you know, those kind of guys getting their feet wet as true freshmen. I think having some guys that you can mix in with, with some, you know, some veteran play um, with those younger guys and even some of these even younger guys that Florida is just coming off signing in 2020, I think it just kind of helps bridge the gap even more so in the secondary. 
um, because there is just a lot of youth there. So I think that those are the two spots that really kind of stand out the most. I'm, I think if I had to pick a position group that I still think there's a big question mark on, it's the offensive line. Um, they just didn't really seem to ever fully turn the corner last season, and they bring back a lot of those guys. I, I know there are going to be some changes here and there, but for the most part, it's, it's a pretty, pretty solid nucleus of the guys coming back. So I'm interested now going forward with these new 2020 signees, you know, the Joshua Bronze, Isaiah Walker Jr., some of these guys who are going to be here for spring practice getting their feet wet. I'm interested to see how those guys plug into the next year's roster. Yeah, well, I mean, when you talk about some of these guys coming back, like Trey Grimes and, and Marco Wilson, uh, I go back to something that Dan Mullen said. Shoot, I, it might have been you know before he ever coached a game at Florida, and, and his his whole thought process was basically, you want in your position rooms to have a good mix of players, meaning you don't want it to all be young guys, you don't want it to all be veterans. You like to have a couple veterans in the room that can kind of show the younger guys how they're supposed to work, how they're supposed to go about practicing. And um, even when he added a guy like John Grenard, one of the big reasons that they brought Grenard in was they had a lot of young bucks, you know, at, at that position, that buck position. And they really wanted a veteran that knew how to work to show those younger guys, OK, this is how you do it. This is how you practice. And so I think more than anything, you know, getting, uh, you know, a guy like Trayvon Grimes back in that receiver room when it is going to be a bunch of younger guys, you start to develop the um it's, it's like a passing of the torch, you know what I mean? When when you have Van Jefferson and, and Freddie Swain and Joshua Hammond and Tyree Cleveland all leaving, um, those are guys that, like you said, they always knew what routes they were supposed to run. They knew how to work in practice. They knew how to watch film, break it down. Um, you know, I've seen a, a couple of the receivers praising, you know, Josh Hammond on social media in the last couple of days just talking about how he knew everything. Like, he knew the wide receiver's responsibility. He knew the O-line's protections. Like, you know, just stuff that, younger players really don't always get. And I think when you have some of these guys, Grimes and, and Wilson coming back at their spots, it, it really allows you to start to develop the kind of continuity as a program where the younger guys get it. You know, they really get it. And you're not like starting from scratch each year. You're kind of establishing a baseline. And, and those guys help do that. And I think, you know, in the secondary, you, you talked about that. I, I think Florida will play some young guys next year. Like, they, they, you know, it's not going to be sure. – all veterans, you know, I know they got most of the safeties coming back. Those guys are all pretty much, you know, going to be seniors between Steiner and Davis and Brad Stewart. Um, so you, you've got a lot of experience in the in the group. But if you lose Marco um, to the NFL draft, all of a sudden you're talking about, uh, you know, you're going to have to start a couple new guys. You know, Kyrie Elam, I think we all think he's going to be a stud. Uh, we saw that in the bowl game. Um, you feel comfortable in him. But if you had lost Marco, all of a sudden now you're breaking in basically two new starting corners and you still have to figure out nickel, which was kind of a, you know, a problem spot this year. Now you bring Marco back, you know, you really only have one spot to fill. And however they do that, you know, I, I think the staff is probably thinking about moving Amari Bernie back to nickelback rather than uh, linebacker. I thought them, them kind of going to that in the orange bowl against, uh, against Virginia was really interesting because I thought he played well there. And I think he's got the kind of athleticism, you know, you saw teams take shots at him at various points when he was in nickel. They're like, Ooh, we got this linebacker, you know, singled up. And nine times out of ten, Bernie's, you know, running right down the field with him. You know, and I think we talked about it, Blake, but you know, before the season began, we were all expecting a huge year from Bernie. He's a he's in. a wide receiver playing playing line. Well, at the time he was playing linebacker, so he's extremely athletic and and kind of deceptive. You know, because you look at a linebacker, and you're like, oh man, we're gonna toast this guy, and then he pulls out some speed, and you're like, oh wow, won't do that again. Yeah, and you know, so it was unfortunate for him this year that he wasn't able to stay a little bit healthier. You know, he got banged up kind of in the middle stretch and you know, miss some games late in the year, but I think he's going to be a terrific guy. And then, you know, the other guy I think that they, they still believe has a lot of potential back there in the secondary is Trey Dean. 
Um, but obviously he was not probably a good fit for that nickel role this year, you know, and, and I think anybody that watched the games was, uh, <laughs> you know, frustrated. But I do think that they probably move him around to safety, see if he can, you know, start to fill in some of those snaps for, you know, a guy like Jawan Taylor who's gone. But I'm I'm with you. I You know, when I look at this 2020 roster, um, you know, you mentioned O-line, you know, obviously they got to get that figured out, but there's not a whole lot of holes. You know, there's no position groups that I'm looking at like that's going to be a huge problem. Um, so Blake, I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the O-line in terms of like, okay, you have four starters coming back, um, you know, late in the year, I thought they went to some different combinations of guys that worked a little bit better. What, what's your take on how far that group can come? Because I think we're both kind of circling that one as, you know, if, if Florida is going to take a step forward, that unit's got to get better. You know, I, I think whenever they kind of figured out some of these different combinations, I think they figured things out a little bit better. Um, I thought Ethan White was a younger guy that really did flash as far as, you know, one of those interior guys. Um, you're going to have to replace your center this year. I think that that's another question now. You lose Nick Buchanan. <clears throat> and uh, I, I know that just from kind of following the staff that, you know, from Hevesy being that, you know, run game coordinator, offensive line spot, a big focal part of his, you know, what he does comes from the center position. So I think that whenever you have a big spot there to replace, um, I think that that's one that I'm keeping an eye on. I really like Kingsley Agekiwan in the back, uh, you know, kind of was the backup kind of role there. Um, really liked what he put together, but, you know, didn't really have a shot to really show a lot of those things this past season. Um, you know, I think whenever you bring some of the pieces back, there's a, there's a good solid starting spot there. But you just never, like I, like I said earlier, you just never really seen some of these guys completely take the next step. You know, DeLance is one that I'm really keeping an eye on next season. I think that when you have Josh Braun coming in, a guy who I think fits perfectly into that right tackle type of spot, um, has some size, is kind of one of, you know, those road grader type guys. I think that that's an interesting dynamic to bring into the, you know, to the room there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's not necessarily the unit as a whole that's a question mark for me. It's maybe some specific guys like DeLance. Um, you know, Stone Forsyth was, um, you know, he got a little beaten sometimes there. So I think figuring out the the, the tackle position, I think, is really the biggest question marks for me. Whereas yeah. I thought certain times the interior part of the line really, I thought that they really got some good play there when you move in a Richard Garage. Um, again, Ethan White, you know, I can go on with some of these interior guys that I thought that they put a lot of good things together in the season. Maybe not a total package type of thing, but I think outside on the tackle it really is the biggest question mark for me. And I know that that was something this past recruiting cycle that the coaching staff really wanted to hit on was the offensive tackle position. And it was weird. You know, this staff really isn't one that talks about opportunity for playing time without, you know, the, the, you know, the dynamic of throwing in that you got to work really hard for it. So it was different hearing a guy like Isaiah Walker, this past recruiting cycle that has John Hevesy, who is, you know, known as kind of being of a hard ass telling him like, man, you could come in and play right away, man. Like, right. you know, you know, we, we see you playing really early. It was different to hear that because I, I truly do think this coaching staff isn't one that blows smoke up guys, butts. um, you know, we know that really there to tell these guys things. So for Hevesy and the staff to be so upfront about his playing style and, and him being able to play early there, I think was something that really spoke to me that uh, Florida really does truly need help on the offensive tackle position, which is super obvious by watching the team this past season. So I think for me, those are the two biggest spots is the left and right tackle. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I you know, I thought Forsyth actually probably outperformed my expectations. Sure. Um, mine too. You know, I think you look at him from an athletic standpoint and that's, you know, that's <clears> the issue is it's, it's capped potential. You know, he, he just doesn't have the ability to move like, you know, say a Martez Ivy did or, uh, you know, a guy like Isaiah Walker. Um, but I thought he did well. And I, I'm with you. I think, you know, if you're talking about combinations up front, I think DeLance is the guy that's really, really going to have to battle for his job this offseason. Um, I think you probably slide Heggie in at center. I just think he's he's a very confident guy. He knows all the calls. And, uh, you know, 
Nick Buchanan maybe physically wasn't the best center, but he was a really, really good leader, and he communicated extremely well on the offensive line. So that's going to be tough to, to replace. But I think Heggie ends up sliding in there. And then, you know, I really thought you, you mentioned it. Once Richard Guraj got in into the lineup, that was re- really, you know, I know the line still wasn't great at blocking at that point, but I thought they started to get more of that typical John Hevesy look where you've got guys pulling into space. I thought Guraj was, you could just see the athleticism. He was much more comfortable pulling and, and kind of knocking people around. And Florida had some big runs behind him. Um, but one of the reasons he was in at tackle, or, or sorry, in at guard this year is they wanted to have veterans around him that could communicate. They didn't feel like they wanted to leave him on an island out at tackle. Um, I think now that he's going to be going into his third year, that probably changes. You know, the dynamic on that changes. And you get him ready all offseason, all spring, and you say, hey, you're one of our tackles next year. You're not, now go out there and do it. And they start grooming him for that. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got three options there at, at a minimum between him, Forsyth, and DeLance. And then, and then you start to be able to pick, you know, who's your best guy. And then, you know, I think part of, part of the, having the ability to put Guraj back outside is the emergence of a guy like Ethan White, you know, on the interior. I thought he was another one that when he went into the lineup, you could tell there was a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more power, a little bit more finishing punch. And for Florida's O-line to take the next step, I think it's about getting some of those guys that have a higher ceiling in there. Um, because you look at, you know, some of the guys that were starting, you know, these these guys weren't tremendous recruits in terms, you know, and, and O-line's a tough position. It's not always, sure. you know, you get a four-star, they pan out. I think that's probably the toughest position to evaluate. But, the, you know, for the most part, Florida's line performed probably like it you would have expected as recruits. And now you start to get these guys in, like you said, like a, you know, a Braun and, and an Isaiah Walker. I think that's when the potential really takes a step forward. Yeah. You know, I think that just this past spring, just from talking about it, we, you know, even the coaches said, we know who the starting five is. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we just covering the team knew that it was kind of, you knew what to expect from the team. There were some games I thought when specific guys flashed, but for the most part, I think, like you said, the offensive line performed about like what we thought it would kind of heading into the season. All right, Blake. Well, I, I think uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the st- staff continuity, um, but then we'll, we'll touch on some recruiting and, and maybe even a little college basketball here right after this break. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, I wanted to touch a little bit on the staff dynamic that Florida has right now. Um, never say never. I know, you know, the coaching carousel has not stopped spinning yet. Baylor's got a head coaching job open and, you know, depending on who they land, uh, I, I think the latest right now is, uh, you know, that they've kind of honed in on, who is it? Now I'm complete, I just completely blanked out. Was uh, it Justin Fuente or am I late? No, still? Fuente. So Fuente was the guy they were initially talking about a lot. And now, dude, this is going to kill me. Um, Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to erase that from the pipe now. Just kidding. Um, anyway, but the, my point is Justin Fuente is no longer looking like the primary target for uh, Baylor, which was one of those ones where you're like, oh, man, like if Fuente leaves, Todd Grantham played at Virginia Tech, uh, Torian Gray played at Virginia Tech. All of a sudden you start to worry that Florida might have some staff turnover. Um, but Blake, for right now, it looks like, you know, pr- oh, Dave Aranda from LSU. Okay. There we I figured go. it out. Dude, I don't know why that just, I totally blanked on that. But anyway. Uh, point being, you redeemed yourself. It's point cool. being, for right now, it looks like Florida's going to have some staff continuity. Um, this would be, I believe, the first time since 2006 to 2008 that Florida will return both coordinators for the third straight year. And that was back when uh, Dan Mullen and Charlie Strong were Florida's coordinators under Urban Meyer. That's the last time they had a coordinator with, without coordinator changes for three straight years. So that's not a small deal. I mean, that's, uh, that's a lot of continuity that allows your players to really stay familiar with the schemes. Um, you know, I think that's a big thing for Florida. Blake, I'm curious, um, how do you view staff continuity? Like say, you know, if Florida doesn't have any turnover, is that a good thing for you? Is that a bad thing? Would you like to see some turnover or just what's your view on that? You know, I guess from a recruiting standpoint, I don't know that it totally matters, um, from a whole, just because there's so many coaches that deal with a lot of these kids. It's not like, you know, there, there's only one guy, um, mm-hmm. granted there is probably a primary recruiter, but for the most part, you know, a lot of these guys, when you talk to them, they hear from multiple guys on the staff, they hear from secondary guys, uh, you know, those director player personnel recruiting guys. So I think it's good just because that familiarity and you do have that there and you can pitch that you can go into a kid's living room and, and do the in-home visit and say that, you know, Hey, we've had the same coaches for this time. We don't have a lot of turnover. You can, you can put it, you can, you know, pull that in there and that's something that a lot of these kids that you know are maybe committed to another school that didn't choose to sign early um, maybe it was because of some coaching turnover I know one guy the offensive center uh, Cedric Van Pran he did not sign with Georgia which he said it didn't have anything to do with the loss of Sam Pittman but just from looking at how how big that was for the University of Georgia and especially on the offensive line recruiting I, I think that there's probably some truth to the fact that he still has to get to know Matt Luke and know a lot of things so I guess for Florida um, you know some of these guys that didn't choose to sign early um, obviously they're, they're keeping an eye on Florida. I know Manuel has some room to do in the classroom or some work to do in the classroom. I should say, um, uh, Mark Britt wanted to take a couple visits and had some testing things to do on his own. And so for the most part, you know, Florida had that continuity and they were able to sign some of these guys early just because they can really pitch that, you know, we're not losing a lot of coaches. We're not moving around. So I don't think you're seeing some of these guys that are still kind of holding out to see, you know, Oh man, is this guy moving around? Is this guy going here? Um, but I guess to talk about for some specific guys, you know, losing a Todd Grantham would be big in the fact for Florida that most likely Christian Robinson goes with him. You know, they just seem right. to, you know, kind of be a package deal, so to say, as far as how their coaching goes. So, you know, that would be a big blow for Florida, kind of just talking about, you know, a little what ifs here, just because he is one of Florida's better recruiters. Um, you know, let's say that, you know, if, if Fuente did get the job at Baylor, if that was still a thing that, you know, obviously that opens up, that'd be a big appealing thing for Grantham. You know, Torian Gray is a Virginia Tech grad. You know, I, I guess I know again, 
again, I'm playing a little what if here, but there are just so many scenarios that if certain things opened up and certain guys on the staff from Florida went with them, um, you know, a guy like Torian Gray has been a really big recruiter for Florida. Um, I guess it's more so maybe there are, yes, yeah, some guys, you know, uh, Christian Robinson, um, a Torian Gray, um, you know, some of those guys like that that have recruited really well for Florida. Billy Gonzalez, who has a guy, a big time guy, and Xavier Henderson, who is not signed to Florida right now. So, you know, there are some things if that were to happen, um, you know, even Ron English, you know, Avante Williams is one of Florida's bigger targets left on the right. board who is, is uncommitted and unsigned. So uh, at this point, you know, losing some guys would be big for Florida in the fact that there's only a couple weeks left to get a guy hired in there. And obviously, it's National Signing Day. But I think some of the things that it, it sucks for some of these kids whenever you look at how kind of some of these jobs open up after the December signing day. I feel like it used to be whenever kids sign in February, like a couple days after you, that's whenever yeah. the big coaching carousel went. Whereas now a lot of these things get, you know, done in, in December and, you know, right after the bowl season and, you know, pretty, pretty close into that time in there. So I think a lot of these kids now too, you know, for the most part, a lot of the coaching turnover has happened already. So a lot of these guys now aren't really necessarily looking at, um, you know, guys leaving now, even though it can still happen. I think for the most part now, a lot of these guys are getting to know some of these guys that are at new schools, you know, that have moved around previously before that, you know, again, a guy like Cedric Van Prane, who's getting to know a new offensive line coach. So I think that Florida has that boast, you know, kind of card in their back pocket now to where, you know, you're going into having a really successful, you know, early signing period um, where you had a lot of these guys that, you know, I think at the time it was like 24 or 23 guys or something like that, that they signed yeah. on there. Um, so, they don't really have to do a lot of the getting to know things or a lot of these, you know, final fury finishes to the, you know, national signing day now, just because they can kind of sit back and re and lean on some of these relationships that they've already built on this with some of these kids. I'm sure there's, you know, maybe a new offer that goes out here and there, but for the most part, it doesn't seem like Florida's really scrambling to figure things out. Um, they've got an idea, you know, they've built bonds with these guys already. So I feel like it kind of makes things a little bit easier for this time of the year to where you're not getting to know a new guy. You're not having to like, you know, focus on one guy and send that coach in there repeatedly to build the relationships because they're already there. So I think yeah. that that's probably something more so now that Florida can kind of kick back now with that continuity and they can pitch that in the living rooms and they can pitch it next year. Some of these 2021 guys. So look, things like that carry over and it helps you in the long run. But for the most part, you know, I don't know that if, if Florida lost when these guys that, you know, they're going to lose out on, on one kid specifically. Um, so I, I don't know that it really matters so much now. I think that that's something yeah. kids focus well, on more so now in December. Yeah. I guess the, the question is, uh, you know, cause we're on the message boards at swamp 24 seven a lot. And you know, those are the real diehard dedicated fans that are following all these individual recruitments. Um, but I guess more from like a general standpoint, um, I think it's fair to say that some people would like to see a couple more elite recruiters join the staff, right? Sure. Um, but my question is, uh, looking big picture, Blake, where where do you feel like recruiting is at? I mean, obviously, you know, this year's kind of a, and, and it seems to be going this way more and more. Um, there's like these super mega classes, you know, the, the top five teams are just like absurd, gross classes, and they're stacking all the talent. Um, but from my standpoint, I've been fairly critical of Dan Mullen and their recruiting when they first got here. And I feel like this class answers not just a lot of needs but there's a lot of real quality in this class and I think that um Florida for me is getting to the point where they're they're getting enough talent for Dan Mullen with as good of a coach as he is to really start to have that success and I'm curious um you know if you kind of see that the same way or if you would still like to see them recruit a little bit better you know I think if there's always room for improvement and I think especially whenever you're right there in the state of Florida 
Um, and you have a lot of these elite talents around you and a lot of these schools that you're playing against, you know, that maybe not against every year, but, you know, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the LSUs, a lot of these schools, Clemson even uh, is another school that's coming in and doing a lot of good things in Florida. So I think it's it's more so the room for improvement, I think, needs to go more so into getting some of these elite guys in the state of Florida. Um, you know, obviously they lost some guys this past year. You know, Demarcus Bowman was a guy in state. You know, there's a couple others. If I went and scanned through the targets from last cycle that they missed out on last year, I do think every year that Florida's recruiting gets a little bit better. I think that the 2019 class obviously had a really good ranking, but there were a lot of defections there. So I, I don't know that you can really look at a lot of things there. This year, Florida sits at a number seven class with quite a few heavy hitters still that would help boost that ranking up. Um, and, and they have some some room to take some guys this year. They can go up to, I believe, 29 this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they've still got some room to add some guys there that can continue to make that ranking go up even higher. So I, I don't know that it's something that Florida – I think the big changes happened this past <clears> – <throat> excuse me – this past offseason, wherever you added some new faces into the, you know, the off recruiting room, um, mm-hmm. you know, you had a guy, Otis, Otis Yelverton, who's no longer with the program. You have another guy, Cordell Landers, who's no longer with the program. You added in a lot of these guys, you know, Jamar Chaney, um, John Heron, uh, Lee Begley, who's been in there before, um, Kiwan Ratliff, who's a, f- a familiar name to a lot of Florida fans. So you add a lot of these guys. There are, there are more others, too, in there that do a lot of other things. But some of these guys that have really added to the recruiting room, I think, has really kind of helped Florida. Because they've given more help there to the coaches. It's not yeah. just two guys running a, a you know a recruiting department. Three, if you count Begley in there. So it's not just three people that are running a recruiting department. There's a lot more help there. There's a lot more resources there, and they're getting to you know offering a lot of kids earlier there. So I think that a lot of the things to help recruiting have already happened. Um, I think that if I had to look for improvement, it's just continuing to get some of these top tier guys in in the state of Florida to you know stay home and convince them of that. And obviously, Florida's done a good job of that now. You know, you have the two big seasons. You know, you go from ten ones to eleven, and you can move that on to next year. And then if you look at the twenty twenty one recruiting, a lot of these upper tier guys in the state of Florida are giving Florida a solid look. So I feel like every year things change a little bit. I feel like things have gotten a little bit better each year for Florida. So I really like where they sit now. Obviously, they still have. Um, it's not so crazy, kind of figuring out putting that the recruiting board together they still met a lot of needs that they really needed to hit on in December and they've signed a lot of positions that filled those needs too so I think at this point you can be a little bit picky in, in December or excuse me in January which wasn't necessarily the case this last year where they were kind of figuring things out still trying right. to add some guys there so I feel like every year there's some improvement there um, next year again I think is just kind of focusing on these you know upper echelon guys in the state of Florida yeah. and keeping them and fighting off some of these, you know, the Bamas and the Georgias and a lot of these other schools that are poaching guys from the state. Well, and I think they've done a decent job of that. Like, you know, I mean, I know that you would like to land a Demarcus Bowman. You'd like to land a Trey Sanders. And, you know, there's some other guys that they have missed on. Um, but you look at it, you know, you added Braun, you stole him away from Georgia. You added Xavier Henderson, stole him away from Clemson. Like, these are these are big battles that they are sure. winning. And they're, I think that we're starting to see that more as Florida's you know, recruiting staff gets used to working together. And and I think I even asked Dan Mullen about it on the early signing day. I said, Dan, are you are you pleased with the way this staff is set up from a recruiting standpoint? And he said, yes, like, absolutely. We've we we did a lot of additions in the offseason, like you're talking about, you know, some of the assistants. And I think you're starting to see that pay dividends. And, um, you know, I don't follow recruiting very closely, Blake. I leave that to you. But from the sound you're of it, so it kind. looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like Florida in 2021 is really laying down a good foundation early on with some some elite prospects. Um, so I, I think it, you know, as critical as I've been of Dan Mullen's recruiting when he first took over, um, I think it's important that we note that I think it's moving in the right direction. You know, it can always, like you said, it can always get a little bit better. Um, but I've been impressed lately with their ability to win some of these battles. You know, against Georgia for a Braun, 
you know, against Clemson for a Henderson. And if you continue doing that, um, you know, I, I was uh, had a Twitter interaction with Bo Bounds, uh, who does a radio show in, in Mississippi. And, uh, you know, he's, he's obviously very familiar with Dan Mullen. And um, he, he kind of jumped into my, uh, my Twitter feed one day when I was tweeting. It was right after early signing period about, you know, kind of had a, Florida just had kind of a deflating finish. They didn't really get any of their guys on that early signing period. And uh, I ended up asking him, you know, after we got going back and forth on Twitter, do you think Dan Mullen can win with this current level of recruiting? Can he win a, a national championship? And he said, yes, undoubtedly. Um, so I think, you know, I, that means a lot. You know, somebody that's covered Dan Mullen and knows how good of an ex's nose coach he is, um, he believes that with the talent Florida has, they're going to win a national title here eventually. So sure. I think it's getting there. Um, but, Blake, I guess I'll, I'll open the floor to you um, because I don't cover recruiting a whole lot. Um Go ahead and give, I guess, the casual fan a, an idea of what's coming up in the next few weeks heading into, you know, February's uh, national signing day. Yeah, so the recruiting dead period, which really permits um, no face-to-face interacting with recruits, uh, you know, direct messages through social media, text messages, phone calls are, are tricky because you have to have the prospect call you as, as you being the coach. Um, but it's not like you can't shoot a kid a text and be like, Hey man, give me a call. And they can do that. So, you know, yeah. there, there are ways around this so recruiting weird. dead period, but that does end this Friday, which opens back up basically on campus uh, visits um, this coming weekend, at least for right now, I haven't heard of any official visits for on Florida's campus this weekend. Uh, the big visit weekend for them is looking right now, at least to be the January 24th weekend. Um, they're going to have quite a few of those top-tier guys on their campus that weekend. Avante Williams, who's probably Florida's top target overall at safety, will be on campus that weekend. Um, Demarcus Beckwith, Florida's looking to sign another tight end. Kind of one of those more athletic Kyle Pitts type guys, which is you know kind of a, a cyborg type between a tight end and a wide receiver. So he's one of those guys. Jameer Gibbs, a four-star running back who's committed to Georgia Tech but has been looking around. Um, he's kind of shuffled around some visits here and there. Florida visits on, it's off. I'm visiting LSU this weekend. But he is going to be at Florida on the 24th as of right now. Um, they'll have a couple other kids on campus that weekend. Um and then the 31st, they'll have another uh, visit weekend with Cedric Van Pran, the uh, offensive center committed to Georgia on campus that weekend. So the 24th and the 31st are looking right now like your big visit weekends for Florida. Um, another guy that has been rumored that Florida has been getting involved with here lately, uh, 24-7 Sports, Steve Wolfong had a story up uh, on, the, on the site earlier today, and I've hinted about it on the message boards. Florida's getting involved with a five-star running back and Zachary Evans out of Texas. So big news for Florida there, getting involved with a five-star. Um, he, he signed with Georgia during the early signing period. Um, but was released from that LOI. So he's going into January, uh, more than likely um, heading into January to take some visits. Uh, Steve Wolfong, he reported earlier today on Thursday that uh, Texas A&M is looking to still most likely be the team to beat, but it, it's it's not expected for him to be an early enrollee. Um, so he will not be enrolling early at, at Texas A&M, more than likely. That was kind of the thing that we were watching this week to see if he was going to be a spring guy. So he's going to head into uh, to the January, um, looking into a couple other schools. Steve mentioned Ole Miss. He mentioned Florida. So Florida been looking for a running back all cycle. You know, it's kind of been. I feel like it's just been a way to find out a way to strike out. You know, you throw in a new guy. We talk about this guy, then they don't visit Florida. They don't look at Florida. So Florida has a chance here in like the the eleventh hour, so to say, to reel in possibly a five star running back. There's still a lot of things left to be seen of how this recruitment's going to go. But right now, Florida's looking like they're going to be involved with a five star running back. Nice. That'd be a big one. And they just landed one in uh, Miami transfer Lorenzo Lingard. So uh, all that talk who about I think Dan has Mullen. a case who I yeah, think yeah. has a case for a waiver next year. Absolutely. You know, all that all that talk about Dan Mullen not not having a five star on his roster. All of a sudden you got Brenton Cox, you got L- Lorenzo Lingard, possibly Zach Evans. Uh, 
Maybe think, Justin like, Shorter, the wide receiver Justin transfer Shorter. from Penn State. So it's it's pretty pretty different dynamic from this from last year to this year how Florida recruiting's looked. Yeah, I think they're moving. They're just moving in the right direction, and I think I think Florida fans have so much to be excited about for good reason. You know, it's uh, I actually you know talked about it the other day on Twitter. Is like uh, I've covered you know three full head coaching tenures at Florida now: Will Muschamp, McElwain, and and uh, and now Dan Mullen. And I've never seen from from the the site standpoint. Uh, so much interest and in, and so many people buying subscriptions this deep into a coaching tenure. You know, usually you get that initial like surge of excitement and then it kind of dies down. And we're then it's top board it, season. <laughs> yeah, and then it's top board season. And but no, we're we're literally still seeing it. Like people are signing up in droves. Uh, it's really cool to watch, man. And you can you can just tell the fans are are really excited about where this thing's headed. Yeah, like well, we always uh, say, man, it's it's always better to cover really successful football staff. So we're we're loving. I it. love it, man. Yeah, we get we get sweet bowl gifts and stuff like that. Yeah, man. I didn't get any of those. I'll expect mine in the mail. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, Blake, we were going to talk about a, a little bit of hoops, but uh, we're already at half an hour here. Um, I think it's best off to just uh, to let Florida ride into this tough stretch where you've got top five games against Auburn and Baylor coming up, and then one way or another, if Florida gets it done and and posts some what I would say are surprising wins. Uh, we got some good things to talk about, and if not, we can uh, we can fire up some some hot board talk hot on, the board next, on the next episode. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week, uh, probably talking a little bit of hoops in that episode. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.